you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Andy Alloway from Empire Flippers. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks. Good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Andy, some people around the world still don't know who you are. Would you mind giving a brief introduction to your background and what you're doing right now? Of course, yeah. Uh, actually, my I know we're here mostly to talk about operations today, but my background is more sales-focused, um, sort of being in sales and running sales teams in the IT industry. Uh, but about three and a half years ago, I joined Empire Flippers, who's a, an online marketplace for, for online businesses, uh, in an operations capacity. And, and since then, I've been running, running the operations team here, basically, uh, currently based in Prague. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. And how many people do you manage right now? Uh, so the department is about 30 people. Um, across three departments. So our, our operations is, is broken into our vetting team. So all the businesses that go live on our marketplace go through our vetting process. Then we have kind of general customer service, looking after buyers and sellers while they're, while they're you know, in our process. And we have a migration team as well. So moving the, the website or the asset from the seller over to the buyer. Uh, and it's a, a roughly even split. So it's sort of probably eight to 10 people in each department, around 30-ish total. Excellent. Excellent. And yeah, I mean, that sounds like a bit of a challenge. How, how have it grown while you've been there and, and sort of in the time you've been there, what, what do you feel sort of have, have really changed in the business? Yeah, I mean, a bunch. So uh, first off, Empire Flippers is, is pretty consistently growing as a company, which is a unique challenge in itself running the operations team. We're, we're probably maybe three times the size that that we, uh, we were when I joined in 2017. Um, but also just structurally, I mean, when I joined, I, I myself along with uh, two other guys, we were kind of some of the first customer service hires. Um, and at the time we had general operations people, but we didn't have defined teams. So they might be doing a bit of vetting in the morning, some customer service over lunch, and then migrating businesses uh, in the afternoon. So that's one thing that's really changed is we have now really clear defined teams, clearly defined roles, uh, and people specializing. So that's, that's probably the biggest stuff. Excellent. And that's really what I would love to talk about today, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs really go to this growth phase, right? And I think particularly what you've been through and is, is very, very similar to what most entrepreneurs actually get to feel on their own skin. Right. So from, from a growth perspective um, and, and sort of how to, well, how you actually grow with the team, right? When, when you started out, how many people did you have initially or what were you managing initially or how quickly did you get into that role? Yeah, so I think initially, you know, the entire operations team was, was maybe 10 people. Um, yeah. And like I say, they, they were kind of doing a bit of everything. Um, I think the the first thing we did before adding any people was kind of splitting out the roles and the teams and defining what those those roles look like. Um, because you know even even when we had everyone doing everything, you could 
still see how many bettings we were doing, how many migrations, how many customer service tickets. Um, but there was a huge task switching time cost. Um, so, you know, what we found is when we move people into more specialist roles, uh, I mean, this, this is fairly obvious, but actually we could get through more work because they weren't having to switch between different things. Um, so the first step was definitely breaking things out and then seeing kind of how much capacity we had into, you know, in, in relation to the workload. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I think, I mean, this is one of the things that actually a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with quite a bit, right? Because fundamentally, I mean, operations and organizations in general exist for the specialization of labor, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of entrepreneurs, in my experience, try and hire people that are like themselves who can do everything, right? And I think that's, that's definitely a trap that a lot of people get into. Like they, they end up hiring a lot of people and trying to get them all to do a lot of stuff. But, but really, when you start specializing people, you tend to see a huge jump, both in performance, but also overall productivity, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, I, th- I think that's one of the key points that, yeah, that I definitely see a lot. How, how did you go about it? Like how, what, what was that journey going through that and defining the roles and how, how did you go about doing it? Um, well, I think the first thing is, and, and uh, another area that specializing really helps is, you know, not all of those roles that people were doing are kind of complementary. you know, so for someone on the front lines talking to customers, obviously you want someone who's super personable, um, can deal with, you know, can, can give resolutions and, and deal with escalations, that kind of thing. Um, that's not necessarily the same person that you want doing the vettings, is, you know, which will be someone who's probably more data-driven, really analytical, really high attention to detail. Um, so I think the first thing we did was kind of go through and see whose strengths lay where um, and kind of move people around accordingly. Uh, and, and similarly, then when it did come to growing out the team, that gives you a, a much better base for hiring as well. You know, when we're hiring for a, a vetting person now, we have a real clear picture of what we're looking for as opposed to we've just done a round of hiring for a couple of customer service people. Um, and there's some crossover, but they're pretty different in terms of the person you're looking for for those roles. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And that's, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in that area myself. And I think that ability to, both understand the people you have, but I think particularly when you're bringing in new people, really understand like where they're going in and you know what, what are they going to be doing and what's their personality. I think that's absolutely critical. So what, what, what sort of framework or how do you define people's strengths and weaknesses and so on? How do you go about that? So I think, um, uh, in, ter- so in terms of the hiring, I think one thing that Empire Philippines has always done a great job with long before me is finding people who are a good fit for the company. Um, yep. so we do make uh, applicants kind of jump through some hoops. We have them record a YouTube video along with their application. So we ask uh, a fair amount up front, um, but we've always put a lot of weight on, because you know, we have a fairly unique culture, all remote, kind of travels a big part of it, uh, people around the world. And so there is, there is a certain type of person who really gets on well within the company. And I think we've always been good at teasing those out. Um, in terms of kind of teasing out actual skills, yeah, I think this is something we're, we're constantly improving at, but we've done, because we broke out the departments probably three, three or so years ago now, we've done several rounds of, of hiring uh, in each of those now. And so I think we've got stronger and stronger. You know, 
most of the people we put in the roles have worked out, but some haven't. And so that's a good opportunity for us to kind of look at, well, why didn't that person quite work? You know, was it fit or was there some stuff we overlooked in the interview? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just refining on the process and trying to tease out the right things in the interview process. Yeah, yeah I like that. I mean, the, the, the key fundamental, right, and this is absolute key, what you were saying is that like getting people that actually fit a culture or really whatever your culture is, is, is so detrimental, right? Because if you yeah. do pick the wrong people and they don't work out, it end up costing you so much time and resources because it's not just, oh, well, we spend a couple of weeks finding a hire, but it's also all the training you put into them and so on, right? So it's it's have a huge cost to an organization when you make the wrong hires. So yeah, improving yeah. that process is, is hugely beneficial. Right? For sure. And, and I would kind of add to that as well. It's particularly painful in a fast-growing business because, you know, we're – we're always maybe not behind the curve, but like we're always on the curve when we're hiring. We're hiring because workload is going up and we need people. And so when we do uh, hire someone who either isn't a fit or isn't performing as we need to, I'll be honest, it's actually pretty hard to manage them appropriately because we're like, sometimes we're just like, well, we just need a body right now. And okay, maybe they're not perfect, but they're not terrible. So it can be really difficult to keep the, uh, the management standards high when you, when you do make a mistake like that. Yeah, and that, that, uh, I think that is probably the, the most difficult situation in, in many businesses, right? Because it is so easy to sort of say, oh, yeah, we need that body, right? We need yeah. that human being. We'll, we'll take this person and just see what happens, right? And then that is, yeah, it's very, very rarely a, a good idea to do because, again, the cost and also to the organization of one bad hire, it, it's, it's so detrimental, right? And, and it can be. Uh, particularly if they're then also not a great fit with the culture, right? Like I've, I've really seen individuals and, and few individuals just destroy a company because, you know, you might have a really good culture of either work morale or things like that, where you then have an individual that doesn't fit into it, comes in and everyone sees someone get away with things that they thought wasn't an option. And then, you know, the, com the culture just changes so quickly. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's true in any business, but I also think in a, in a remote business, um, when, you know, sometimes we use Slack a bunch and, uh, you know, sometimes even the best intentioned people over in written form can be taken a little bit out of context. When you have someone who, you know, maybe isn't a great fit and actually does become kind of trouble or a bit painful to deal with, then uh, in written form that can sometimes be emphasized even more. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. I've, I've always been a huge fan of the disc framework uh, in terms of trying to, to determine people, both understanding the individuals you have, but also from a recruitment standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it, it, it stand out from most frameworks because it actually helps you read people based on their behavior rather than having to have people to take a test. Right. And what I've always seen with all these systems, like that, there's a lot of good behavioral systems out there, but the problem for me with all of them is the fact that they always require people to take a test. Yeah. And two yeah. things that my, my, my experience have shown me is one, many people don't actually know themselves very well. Yeah. And if they don't, and they're answering a test about themselves, you know, they're not that accurate. And two, in an interview situation, people really like telling you what they think you want to hear 
right. no matter what you tell them. So even if you tell them, ah, oh, just tell the, just say what you feel. It's no difference or whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if people see that you in your job ad put up saying, you know, we need a detail oriented perfectionist who is super organized and they get a question about organization, they're going to say I'm super organized no matter what. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, 100%. It's funny you say that. We've just been through a round of interviewing. And, and I have one question which I like to, to ask, which is, how do you like to be managed? Um, and I think that question on its own, without some decent follow-up, uh, is actually not that useful because you get a real boilerplate answer that people like to be given clear directions and then the autonomy to get onto their work. And I think after I heard that for the 15th time this time around, I was like, I, I need to improve that question. or have some better follow-ups prepped because it, it just wasn't useful. <laughs> Yeah, so actually, I actually ask a somewhat similar question, but I tend to ask people, now, if, if you're interviewing people who haven't had a job, this one doesn't work very well, but I really like asking people, who's the best boss you've ever had and what mm. made that person the best boss? And then I ask the reverse question as well. So who's the least good boss you've ever had and mm. why was that the case? Because a lot of the time, you actually hear from those two questions. It's like, oh, this guy was micromanaging me or, you know, this guy wasn't giving me enough direction and so on. And yeah. very often you can see from that how people want to be managed. And you can, like, normally if I'm interviewing, I would be the one hiring. And I can say, well, that doesn't, like, what they're looking for is the opposite of my natural management style. Right. Therefore, right. they're probably not going to be a great fit for me, right? So yeah. I, I think that's that's sort of a, a similar question, but where, you know, they like behavioral question, they need to use sort of real life examples rather than just talk to logic about how they like being managed, right? Yeah, I like that. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, so operations. I mean, that's one thing that I've worked in for many, many years. So I used to work corporately in IBM and, and do a lot of operation work. So what, what is it like to run an ops organization for you? Um, I think, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think um, one of the things that Empire Flippers is good at and was good at before me is really documenting processes. Uh, and I think that's vital. Um, you know, we, for, for various steps through our, our process, we have things documented, makes training a lot easier. Um, I'll be honest, that probably before this role isn't something that uh, came supernaturally to me. You know, I kind of, my, my natural style of myself and also managing people is kind of more to, this is the outcome we want uh, and then let people get there. But I, I think one thing I pretty quickly realized is you have to temper that a little bit in operations. Like you have to have some structure, you have to have some standardization. Um, it's, you know, it's no good if, someone goes to one of our vetting advisors and gets a certain experience. And if they go to somebody else, they get a completely different way of doing things. So we have to be standardized to, to keep the quality. Um, and like I say, that doesn't come crazy naturally to me, but I think one of the things that's helped me there is I, I have looked for that quality pretty heavily in, in my supervisors. So each department has, has a supervisor uh, and they kind of pick up the slack for me a little bit there. They're very detail oriented and kind of make sure things are, uh, documented. So I'd say that's a big one. I think, uh, particularly in Empire Flippers, though, you can't be uh, you can't be married to processes for just for the sake of it. You know, what was working a year ago might not be the right process anymore. Uh, I kind of it's a bit cheesy, but I like to refer to this as a strong process is loosely held, and and that's a cultural thing. I think you know, there's um, 
hopefully I've set a tone in operations where anyone in any role is comfortable saying, hey, this process isn't working or this bit needs fixing and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's really important, particularly if you're in a kind of fast moving business. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. So what, one of the ways that I, I normally try and do that is, is really, I, I, I really like making the people who are updating the processes responsible for them mm. in the sense that, you know, if we have, I don't know, like let's say you have a customer service team and you have five people. If you have, I don't know, 25 processes for them, yeah. I like actually giving different people responsibility for different processes yeah. And normally within our, in the business I run, we usually make sure they're updated every three months at a minimum to make yeah. sure they stay up to date. So we have one person who is responsible for the whole company, just looking after our process sheet and making sure everything's updated on a monthly basis. Besides that, we then actually give individuals the responsibility for different processes. So they're basically responsible for, you know, talking with their colleagues, making sure that everything's actually up to date and being done the right way and so on. And obviously they still need to check if they feel like, oh, you know, this process needs updated. They still need to check it. But basically before they do that, they can actually put the, the proposal together and say, hey, you know, we, we the team feels that if, if we updated this to do this way instead, it would be a better, it would be a better way. But I've, I've always found that a huge win because when, particularly when I work corporate, one of the things I very quickly realized was that you had all these managers who were responsible for a lot of processes. And even if they spent like every waking hour just looking at processes, they would never be able to review them all, right? Mm -hmm. But often it was their responsibility to own the processes and make sure they're all okay. But, but my experience was that actually given individuals who are doing the work those processes as a responsibility have always worked really, really well for me. So Yeah, yeah t totally agree. We, we actually do a lot of that now, uh, but that's mostly because we learned the hard way. We definitely used to have the, the supervisor responsible for updating everything. And yeah, A, it's a huge bottleneck. Um, you know, B, they're actually one step removed from the people doing the processes most of the time. So, you know, the, uh, the guys doing the processes are probably the best people to own them. Um, and it's great in terms of just giving people some responsibility, some autonomy. You know, we have them responsible for training that process when, when new people uh, come on board, that kind of thing. So, yeah, totally agree. And, and the most important thing is it's done by people who it's basically lower level or lower value work in a sense, right? Like if, if a supervisor can be doing something, that benefit the company more if they can be spending the time on tasks that are more valuable to the business, you're much, much better off doing it that way. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds excellent. So that's a, that's a good one. What, what's sort of been the biggest challenge management wise that you have ever faced in your sort of operations role? Um, I, I think probably the biggest challenge has been capacity planning. Um, you know, so once we broke things out into um, the separate departments, it's really easy to look at it. And let's say we, let's say on average, we have 80 vettings, you know, ongoing at a time. And we think a vetting person can handle 20, then, uh, okay, we need four people. Like seems, seems obvious, but uh, that definitely hasn't worked out to be our experience. I mean, obviously you just have all of the stuff of life for starters. So sickness, vacations, you need to plan for that stuff. Um, but also, uh, you know, you maybe just get a spike because of seasonality or, or some external factor or something like that. 
And so I think, and then when you put um, kind of growth on top of that as well, it's like, okay, we've got 80 at the moment, but how many will we have in six months? Um, you know, we, we are a service business, so people are definitely our, our most expensive resource. So it's not, you know, it's not just kind of, let's just add twice as many and not worry about it. So just finding that balance between, uh, you know, not having people sat around, but also not having people heads on fire at the smallest thing. Uh, that that's been pretty tough to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And I can, I can totally relate to that as well. I think what, one of the big things that I've always found around that is really the fact that you can, like I see many, many businesses, you know, they're, they're planning for growth in their sales, but mm. they're not planning for growth in the operations. And then what I always tell people is you need to do both. Right. Because if you're like, Oh, you know, next year we're going to double our sales. Yeah. And that's often just something that's worked with the sales and marketing department, but not with operations. But at the same time, if you have some clear goals for growth, you need to have clear goals for from an operation standpoint and also from a financial standpoint to actually have the, the relevant resources to fulfill that, right? Because a lot of the time, if people, if, if people see growth and just like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that with the same resources, that, that never works out. Right, so it, it there have to be a really really good sort of uh, view to you know what is this going to cost and, and also sometimes optimizations right like if you say oh you know we're going to double the amount of clients it doesn't necessarily mean you have to double the team from a, from an operation standpoint but it could be you know you're doing thirty percent optimization of existing work and processes and then hire seventy percent more capacity but but again having that plan is where I see a lot of people. They, they, they build a plan for the growth, but they don't actually build a total organizational plan saying to, to have these, to manage these customers, operations need this. And, and that's definitely something I see a lot of operations guys struggle with because they're always thought of last and they're usually first thought of when, you know, when they're screaming, we can't manage it. Uh, that that's the point when, <laughs> when, when they start getting a little bit more resource. And as you say, they're always kind of one step behind, right? Yeah. So one of the things we've done this year, which has kind of helped a lot with that is um, made, made an easier, clearer progression path from certain roles. So for example, we have uh, a chat function. So we have a team, actually we've just hired two more. So it'll be a team of three um, who do chat on our website, along with some other customer service stuff, but predominantly chat. And, um, you know, one of the things which has been tough historically is to get someone fresh in the business trained up to be a vetting advisor or a migration advisor, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of the supervisor's time. You know, they have to learn us as a business and then the, you know, the kind of specialization. And we've got way better at, okay, we have these great people in chat. What can we do over the next six months so that when we have that vacancy in a more specialist role, uh, that's an easier ramp up. So we've been doing kind of structured training, just kind of giving them a taste of some of the tasks. And that's worked really well. So uh, a couple of months back, one of our migration guys left the business. Um, and instead of then kicking off a two, three month hiring process and getting someone in, we had this person in chat. We were able to kind of move them over within a couple of weeks. Their ramp up in the role was a lot quicker. Uh, and so that's one thing that's really, really helped is kind of having those avenues a little easier for people to progress. 
Yeah, I think that's an amazing tip as well, right? And, and also really because what it does is it shows your staff that there is opportunity for growth and progression in the business, right? A lot of the time in many businesses, the staff is just sitting around, they're seeing people being added above them, mm. but they never, or they rarely see growth opportunity, right? And often it's because a lot of the time entrepreneurs, they look at the staff and they're like, oh, this guy's hired to do this role. He's very good at that. So, you know, I don't want to hire, move him out of something he's, he's doing good. And obviously it's not a great mindset, but that's often how it goes. So a lot of the time for entrepreneurs, I think that's an absolutely amazing tip to, to really focus on that progression, right? And reality is in some roles, sometimes it's not a possibility, but in most businesses, a lot of the time, there's definitely opportunity for growth and progression in that sense, right? Both with more responsibility, but, but it also gives you an opportunity to actually get people to sit with people who are doing a different job and actually see if they like it. Because, you know, sometimes you might move someone into a role and they're like, ooh, I thought this was something very different. I don't like this thing. And you want to avoid that. And if you actually, if they get a few sort of sniffs of the job and if they get to see what it's actually all about, you're more likely at least that they discover that up front and end up saying, well, you know, actually, I thought this was me, but it's not where I want to go, right? Yeah, I think that's that's a brilliant tip. Yeah, a couple of extra thoughts there. So um, one is, it's kind of a win-win for us because the people in the customer service roles, the better they understand those other departments anyway, the better they are in their current role. So that's kind of a win. Um, also, you know, often people want to progress in some way. Um, and it's easy to kind of look and think, you know, some people, of course, they do want to manage teams and be supervisors, but not everybody. And actually a surprising amount of people, uh, you know, their idea of progression is to, to grow, to learn new things uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's, um, you know, a big win in terms of progressing people and giving them new skills, which is great as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's a great way to grow people. Right. So, um, yeah, that's very good to hear that you're, you're doing well in that front. So excellent. And any other sort of big challenges you've faced or anything else that you sort of want to share? Anything you feel that have been like a big learning experience or the likes? Um, I think, I guess kind of maybe just the, the inverse problem of the capacity one is, uh, you know, we do have some seasonality. So for example, Q1, Q1 tends to be our, our busiest time. Uh, in terms of people like after Christmas, they have a big Q4 and then they're looking to, to sell their businesses then. So we tend to have a real high amount of submissions. Um, so that kind of has to be our, our yardstick in terms of how many people we need. But then like other periods, maybe over the summer, um, potentially not so much this summer because not as much holidaying, but normally in the summer, things are a little quieter. Um, and so we have also had the opposite challenge, which is sometimes we do have, uh, you know, maybe we're ahead extra, you know, we, we've got four persons worth of work, but we've got five in there. Um, and so one of the things which I think, again, we've, we've improved on recently is finding some other project stuff for people to get involved in. And that might just be that we kind of second someone for a couple of weeks or a month, um, have them working on something specific, and then they move back in. And, and again, that's, that's worked really well. I mean, we, we did that, uh, I think, in May or June, um, with, with one of the guys in our migration team, we put him on a specific project. Uh, a, he wasn't just kind of sat around doing nothing. The, the workload in migrations was a bit more appropriate. 
And, but also he was talking to some people around the business that he wouldn't interact with as much and, you know, learning about some slightly different stuff. So, yeah, I think that's one thing which historically maybe we were like, oh, we've just got a bit of extra resource there. It is what it is. But um, this year we tried to be a little bit more deliberate about uh, like what we do with that resource when we have it. Yeah, that sounds great as well, right? And I think I think that's a that's a good approach. And actually, back to what you talked about before, it's also a great time to actually train people on new skills. And they don't necessarily need to move into the teams, but if you have someone in customer service that needs to move somewhere else, it's a, if you have that spare capacity, it's it's a great time for that kind of training. So, yeah. Yeah. That, hey, that question for you, actually. Here's something yeah. else I struggled with. Um, so we're uh, obviously 100% remote, but also we're not one of these companies that has everyone in the same time zone. So like the operations team is in pretty much every time zone around the world. Um, and one of the things that I would I've thought for ages I would love to do, but haven't found a good way to implement this is, you know, I'd love to have more social interaction with, with people in my team. You know, I, I think I do a fairly good job at the start of the meetings with my supervisors and my, my management team to kind of do the personal stuff and have personal relations with them. Um, but kind of less so the wider team. And I would love to do a, like a kind of like a Friday afternoon beers thing or something like that. And, and for it to be social. But the problem is that Friday afternoon beer time for me is like 9am just starting to work for somebody else. And probably seeing me sat with a beer isn't super motivational just as they're logging on. Any kind of thoughts or experiences on uh, on like stuff to do there to make sure that the social interaction is there? Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of things. Like I, so I definitely seen companies who are trying to do these, maybe not weekly, but but relatively often frequent meetings where you know everyone gets on a call at the same time and and yeah, it is difficult. Some people it's going to be an odd time zone, but you can often find a time you know where it's not totally horrible for anyone um, right. Right. but but i've definitely seen people do that i think one thing that really worked well I, I know quite a few people do it in sort of smaller groups instead so rather than like if you have a team of 20 people you don't necessarily need all 20 but if you get like two three four people talking at the time yeah that can make a lot of sense and i've actually seen people do this very successfully not just within their team but actually across the organization to to get people to network a little bit more and, you know, know people in different departments and stuff where yeah. they set up these small chats with two, three, four people. And, you know, then you kind of, you don't have to get five time zones at a time. You can kind of get a couple of time zones together. Yeah. And, and basically that way, just set up some, you know, half an hour coffee chat conversations and, uh, a little bit like they can talk work or they can talk private or whatever, but just an opportunity for people to actually get to know others. And, you know, sometimes it's some companies I've worked with, they, they do it more like, Oh, you know, here's my biggest problem. And, you know, yeah. here's my challenges and what's your challenges. And they kind of get to hear some of the challenges that people in other departments have and stuff. Um, whereas, yeah, that, that can definitely be done. Right. And I think, I think I've found that more effective, particularly when you start with bigger team sizes, because when you have 10 people on one call, mm. it's only ever one that can talk at a time. All right. Yeah. And it often doesn't end up being super social mm. when you're, when you're in those kind of calls. So my experience is sort of two to four people. It's like, it's enough for everyone to get enough time to talk and, and, you know, get to know each other. And if that then just rotates over time, there's actually some softwares out there who, who 
specialized in doing that kind of stuff. But but if if you then rotate people sort of over different times, then they kind of get to know each other a little bit better and uh, things like that. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like the small groups idea because my other concern with that kind of thing is, you know, if I kind of organize it, I don't want people to feel obligated to turn up. I like, here's some organized fun we have to turn up to, you know, so I like the small groups thing. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, what, what I've found very important with the clients doing it is making sure that the manager or the boss kind of give a good, clear idea of what, what's trying to be achieved with these chats. Mm. Like, you know, making sure that we build better relationship within the team because we are remote and, you know, we don't have the sort of coffee chats and all that stuff that you have in a physical company. So those kind of things. And I mean, some of the clients I've worked with, they've, they've even done like sort of a little bit of prep where people are sort of writing down a little bit of around their life and so on. Um, mm. Actually, one client I have, they do something that's really interesting where everyone has to put a picture of their workspace, uh, share that. And I think they do it on a weekly basis or something like that. But that helps give people a little bit of an understanding of, you know, what's the workspace like and and sometimes also description. Because, you know, when when people work from home, I mean, some people have kids, some people are, you know, batches living alone and people are in different situations. And therefore, both seeing the workspace, but also having people explain, like, you know, my life situation, I'm always working in the morning in my time zone because, you know, afterwards I have to go pick up my kid or, you know, I have a parent I look after or whatever. And actually getting people to understand each other's life situations often Mm. also helps them understand, you know, oh, why is this guy not available at midnight when I need him? And, you know, you kind of get better understanding of why people work the way they work and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that a lot. What, what are your thoughts on so-called uh, skip level one-to-one? So I think I have a pretty good one-to-one structure with my team. Um, we do weekly catch-ups and they do similar with their teams. What about kind of me doing more regular one-to-ones with my, my guys' teams? What are your thoughts there? Be very careful. Mm. Right. And I say that with the best intention. So what I see a lot of the time, it, it's often a little bit less of an issue down in the organization, but particularly with business owners and entrepreneurs, it's really dangerous because if people feel they have a great relationship with you and they start yeah. telling you things in a skip level one-to-one that you start actioning, then sometimes it's a bit like, oh, I asked mommy if I could do it. She said no, but now I go ask daddy instead. And he said yes. Right. You don't ever want to, like if you do it, it's only for information. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you undermine the authority of your manager. And I've seen a lot of people fall into this trap when they do skip level one-to-ones right there. They're like, it's something that sounds like, oh, that's an obvious issue. I'll go and get that sorted right now. Right. Mm. And it's maybe something that the boss said, you know, it's not a priority or whatever. Uh, and because you don't necessarily know everything that goes on within that team, you don't necessarily know their frame of mind and why they made that decision. It's very easy to start saying things that somehow undermine your manager's um, ownership. Right. Um, generally, one, one way I, I, I like doing it differently is more giving like updates. So if you're responsible for organization, uh, for operations, let's say once a month, you could record a video 
that would go down to all the levels under you and basically give an update, a status update on like how the business is going and, you know, hey, we hit these goals, fantastic work people and, you know, that kind of thing. But that makes it, it's more one-way communication for sure. But that I found that's a pretty good way to keep multiple levels up to date um, and still them still knowing and understanding who you are and what you do within the business without necessarily bumping into that situation of, yeah. And again, I'm not saying like, don't talk to skips because that's totally okay to do. Right. And it's also totally okay to do one-to-ones, but you just, you just have to be very careful when you do it. Right. Yeah. That, that uh, makes a lot of sense and actually pretty closely matches my intuition. Like skip level one-to-ones is something that's been in my mind for a while. And it's one of those things that sounds like a good idea, but I just had some nagging doubts because uh, it kind of goes against the way that I try to do most stuff, which is putting that ownership and that autonomy on my team to manage that kind of thing. So. Yeah. And then again, I mean, I've worked with people who have done it maybe once a year and, you know, that's fine, but I, I definitely wouldn't make it a regular thing. Um, and, and again, it's not like, again, my doors are always open, right? If someone that works like three levels down want to come talk to me, I'm happy to do that, right? It's sure. not about that, but it's more about the fact that I don't want to. I don't want to draw myself into the sort of day-to-day challenges of what those individuals are facing, because mm-hmm. really, for me, it's up to that manager that managed them to to help solve that, right? Now, there's obviously cases where you know things go above that, but that's not really skip level. But you know, if someone is being abused or if someone is whatever, uh, hopefully there's some kind of HR, some kind of process in your business of where they can go if they have like a, a problem like that. Um, but but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I really try and let the managers manage their teams and, and be responsible for their teams because the more you drill down, the more likely, I mean, we, we are very fairly different people, right? I am by nature super, super detail-oriented, which means that if I start knowing the details, I start doing something about them, which which is not what you want to do, right? Uh, I think you're 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 a little more, little bit more driven and let's get stuff done, actionable, uh, focused, right? Uh, so you you probably have an easier time not doing it, but for me, it's yeah, it, it's it's difficult if I know about a potential problem, not doing something is difficult for me. So therefore, I just uh, I really try and just avoid the skip levels. Again, learn from learn from hard experience. I mean, I've done it. I, I love one-to-ones. They're absolutely by far the most amazing thing you can do as a manager. I learned the hard way that skip levels wasn't a, a good thing for me personally, at least. So. Makes sense. Fantastic. Any sort of last either resources or things that you would like to share, Andy? Anything that you feel you know other either business owners or managers like yourself within businesses that you feel they could really benefit from or learn from? Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I guess one thing I'd say is that the kind of the majority of the skills you need to run an operations team are, are really the skills you need to run any team, right? So I think that the, the starting point is just to, to brush up on those. You know, like we discussed, maybe you add into that uh, a slightly more process-driven, stronger attention to detail that either you or, or kind of at least your team need to have um, the only other thing I would say is that, you know, there are some, some really useful frameworks for this kind of stuff, for the operations stuff. 
um, you know, the, the EOS stuff, Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, I know it's not a secret, but, but it is a good one. It's not all operations focused, but I think some of the stuff out of there around being, you know, driven on KPIs, having visibility through scoreboards and stuff like that uh, is, is really useful. So I think for anyone that uh, wants to dig in there, that'd be a pretty good starting point. Yeah, and I, I love KPIs for that reason. So KPI is the, is the easiest way for me to not start looking into too many details because when I know the numbers are okay, I'm kind of relaxed, right? So that's, uh, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, both, um, yeah, I mean, Gina Wickman is definitely good. I, I love traction. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily 100% agree with everything that he does and the way he does it, but, but generally the mindset and, and the framework is, is definitely good. Um, also, big fan of Mike Michalowicz, uh, Profit First, and here he a few different pump, pumpkin plan and a few different really good books. Um, so yeah, but that's that's awesome, Andy. That's awesome. If people are eager to reach out to you for whatever reason, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way is is probably email, which you can either find on our site or it's uh, Andy A at EmpireFlippers.com. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me, Andy. That was awesome to have you on. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with the Corona world. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Matt. And for the audience, you will get to listen to us again next week. Thank you very much for hanging on. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.